Hi everyone, welcome to the B Plus Plus podcast. This is Abhi Debas, and as you know, the B Plus Plus podcast is all about speaking to founders, speaking to technology leaders, and speaking to subject matter experts in the field of technology and how they are helping different businesses and different geographies. Today we have a very very special guest who has braved the cold and uh, uh, managed to be here. And his name is uh, Matthew Brennan. Uh, he is a keynote speaker and author, author of the book Attention Factory: The Story of TikTok and China's Bite Dance. He is a co-founder and managing director of China Channel. A lot of things, uh, you know, that he is doing, and I'm so excited to be speaking to him today. And we'll touch upon some of the different things that he's doing, and we'll get started, uh, you know, on the business side. But first, uh, hi, uh, Matt. Thank you so much for being here. And lovely to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here and and share with you guys uh, today. Uh, yeah, sorry for the cold. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. So, Matt, I mean, before we sort of jump into the book and you know what you're doing, and uh, I would just uh, like to know, and I'm sure the listeners of the podcast would really want to know, what led to the journey from London, was it, to China, and when did that happen, and how's the journey been so far? Oh yeah, sure.、Um, yeah, you're right. I'm originally from London, from the UK, and I studied、mm-hmm. economics at university and came out to China straight after.、Uh, originally thinking I'll stay for a year and then go back, and just to teach English.、Uh, I was going to go work in the city of London, right, and、mm-hmm. and go work in a, a bank or something very boring like that. So、um, it didn't work out that way because、uh, when I got to China. Um, I stayed to learn Chinese. I was I was fascinated by the culture, and I could see that China was just growing really, really fast. It's a really exciting place to be. I mean, when I go back to London from China, I feel everything's so slow, and <laughs> nothing's changed.、Uh, especially back, you know, I, I went. I first went to China、uh, almost sixteen, seventeen years ago now. Uh, so that China's gone. That's a that's a different China that doesn't exist anymore. Because back then everything was booming. I mean, it was really crazy.、Uh, the economy was growing double digits in terms of GDP growth every year, and it really was like that's not that's not fake numbers at all. Like it was absolutely crazy. And and <clears throat> you know, it was as someone who is you know has has a sort of entrepreneurial、uh, gene inside me, I guess. Like、uh, I felt. You know, I I I had to be a part of it, and I had to,、um, you know, stay and 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 just ride this wave that I could see everyone else is riding. Right, there's just such optimism in China. People just have this attitude of can do, like,、um, and you know, even today, I think that still powers through a Chinese attitude of like just work hard and and you know.、Uh, The Chinese do work extremely hard. <laughs> Let's just、uh, <laughs> make that clear. But、uh, um, th- there's a reason for that because hard work is rewarded in the in the usually、uh, in in the in the private sector. And、uh, so I stayed to、uh, open some、uh, education centers with some friends. We pulled some money together and we franchised the school chain. And then later on, I went to work in the head office of that company,、mm-hmm. and I got into research and development, and I got into building software. And from there,、uh, we called it e-learning,、uh, mm-hmm. but today you would call it edtech, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> back then, we e-learning was the phrase that we used. And I, I really was involved in the first wave of selling software in China, educational software to parents for the K-12 market、uh, in lower-tier Chinese cities,、uh, tier two, tier three. Very difficult to do at the time. 
Um, this was pre-mobile in the you know, smartphone era. And just moving into the smartphone era, actually, just about 2010, 2011. Right. And uh, we, we had to send it to parents who, who didn't really want the software at the time. Uh, today, totally different. The Chinese are very progressive about the e-learning. And uh, there's many startups that have scaled up to very large valuations selling online courses. Uh, but even 10 years ago, it was a very different landscape. So it went through all that. 2015, WeChat broke out. Uh, that's when the super, that's when mobile payments started to really hit the ground. I was on the ground. I could see this was just huge. And I, I was so inspired by, by WeChat and WeChat Pay and everything that was happening with all the innovation in China's mobile that I just said, okay, I have to start my own company and start doing stuff around this. Uh, so that's what I did. Uh, I started China Channel in Shanghai and uh, been going since. Uh, and, and really that was... For me to break out and, and do my own company at the time, because uh, I'd been working at this education firm for over five, five six years now, was a big thing. Uh, but mm -hmm. uh, especially as a foreigner in China, you know, doing your own company, your own uh, thing is, uh, I think it's got easier and easier over time. Um, but still, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a big thing. And, and uh, at the time, we didn't know what we were doing at the beginning, but we sort of learned how to go along. And the sort of passion carried me through that, I knew that this, this was really important, uh, this area, and it was actually fundamentally changing China. And today, I think China's starting to get this recognition around the world of being like a tech, uh, you know, hub of the, you know, rivaling Silicon Valley in some in some areas like mobile internet and e-commerce. Uh, you know that 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 didn't really exist five years ago. People, there was no acknowledgement really of China at all. People thought it was a copycat. Uh, you know, copy to China was the model and they were just cloning American uh, ideas and, and, and solutions. Uh, that That's not true. Uh, you know, there was a lot more going on than that. And I think moving forward, the future is actually very bright for this area still. Uh, and, and I think, you know, this is where I want to stay. And, and this is the value I can add to the world of like uh, being some form of bridge between China, where I speak Chinese. I, you know, I've, I lived there for so long. I understand the, the technology and all the products that people are getting excited about. I use them I, and uh, I write about them. And then, you know, outside where there's this strong interest now and, and growing interest around, you know, how can we learn from China? What, what are the lessons here? Uh, and the book is just one format of this. There's, you know, TikTok's, everyone knows TikTok around the world now, but we were excited about TikTok in 2018 in China. You know, like it, the really, it was very clear three years ago in China that this was a special, special product. Uh, and so, I had all this sort of background knowledge and, and, and experience that I could put into the book of, you know, how this came from zero to one. And uh, I don't think TikTok's going to be the last breakout global hit from China at all. There'll be several more uh, in the next few years. We, we don't know exactly where yet, but they're coming. Right. Absolutely. So thanks so much for, you know, uh, you know, such a great, uh, uh, that was great storytelling, I must say. You know, it's a thanks so much for sort of taking us through the journey. And uh, yeah, I mean, and you mentioned the book and that was something that I was really curious about. Uh, you know, like you said, TikTok's taken the world by storm and obviously there's a lot of politics around it as well. And, you know, but the fact is it was a very refreshingly new product. And I think somebody out there uh, definitely figured out that this is the best way to engage uh, with this demographic and they built it, uh, you know, so successfully and to the point that uh, I see there is a lot of uh, 
you know, insecurity in Instagram over the last couple of years. And I see how Instagram is trying to be more like TikTok over the last couple of years and uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not so successfully. So, so how did you sort of decide to write the book about it? I mean, it's one thing as a, you know, technology professional to, you know, maybe talk about it at an event, but what made you decide uh, that I want to write a book about this? Um, yeah, well, in, in many ways, this is a COVID book, right? And I don't think I would have had the time to put in, sit down and really write extensively, research extensively all the details around the platform uh, without, without COVID-19 disrupting us all. Uh, mm. And so it was really just making productive use of, of, that, of that time. Uh, and the, the more research I did, the more I, I, I got into it and found, you know, that there's really, I, I originally was going to write about four different platforms, Huawei, uh, for, for different companies, rather, Huawei, Tencent, Alibaba, and ByteDance. And ByteDance mm. was actually the up-and-coming uh, company that uh, I put on the list last as like, okay, that's on, that's on people's radars now um, yeah. internationally, so we should re-include them. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I was very opt, you know, optimistic about the company and, and was using their products for many years quite, uh, quite heavily, actually. But, um, you know, that's also the same for Meituan Dianping, for example, or Pindodor. But, you know, there's not the mm. same level of awareness around those Chinese companies globally. Yeah. But uh, ByteDance was getting there. Uh, and, and so, but the, the more I did it, uh, the, the more I wrote and researched, the more I found, okay, there's actually a lot here. I spoke to my friends who work there as well. I've got friends who've worked on TikTok from the very early days uh, because they've hired so many people in China <laughs> uh, mm. and around the world. They're opening up offices everywhere. Um, right. But uh, yeah, the, the point I want to make is that when I started writing the book in uh, like seriously in January last year, a year ago now, mm. Uh, the global awareness around TikTok was at a very different level to where it is today. Um, right. It really hadn't had this big, big breakout in terms of right. global awareness. That happened in the summer of last year. And so as I was writing, I sort of found that the global interest in the topic that I was researching was was, was growing and growing every day and getting to crazy levels that I never thought possible. And then Donald Trump got involved and everything just went mad. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not, not plans, that, that, that yeah. sort of thing. So I just, you know, it, it was quite fortunate, I guess, in terms of awareness because the sales have done quite well for the book. So it's, it's mostly due to the topic it being top of mind, I think, rather than my amazing writing. Although, I, you know, I do think it is, <laughs> I'm pretty proud of it. I think we did a, a good job. Well, congratulations on all the success. I'm sure it's very, very well deserved. And, uh, you know, the, the couple of follow-up follow questions I wanted to ask you uh, about the book and, of course, by dance and TikTok. Uh, you know, obviously, as we were discussing earlier, the listenership for our podcast is a lot of uh, decision makers working with large companies. So the first question that I wanted to ask you, I mean, based on your research, is how can large companies, you know, across sectors, how can they leverage a platform like TikTok to market their products and engage uh, with the customers? And then the second question from a startup founder's point of view, because again, a lot of startup founders, you know, are regular listeners of our podcast and they would want to know what did uh, ByteDance do right and what did they get right in terms of the product, in terms of the marketing, in terms of the positioning, timing, based on your research, what do you think, you know, if you're a startup founder today, what are those things that you can learn and sort of implement in your startup that uh, TikTok got right? 
Yeah, those, those are two great questions. Uh, quite, quite different ones, but yeah. Uh, okay, let's take them one by one. Sure. Um, so what, you know, a TikTok marketing essentially is what you're asking about the first question. How should we think about that? What's the sort of, uh, the, the, what's the opportunities there for companies? Right, right. Um, well, TikTok, uh, first of all, uh, you know, a lot of, especially people my age, uh, you know, not, or, uh, you know, people who are very busy uh, and don't use social media a lot, uh, you know, they're, they're busy executives, probably don't even use the platform. And that's, that's quite reasonable. Uh, mm. So they might have a, you know, some, some, and to be honest, a lot of executives, their children use it. That's how they know it, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, okay, yeah. my kids use this, this app. So it's an app for kids. Um, yeah. You know, that's how a lot of these platforms start. And so I don't think you should write off TikTok as a platform just for kids. Um, it's really the paradigm to think about TikTok is YouTube. I feel uh, just right. think of it as a short version of YouTube. If you really want to just simplify things and say, like, why would, why would I even want my company to be on this platform or do anything on this platform? Well, right. would you want to be on YouTube? I mean, that's, you know, today I don't think that would be a, uh, a question that uh, would need much explaining to people. Right. Okay. If I've got video content, I should probably put that onto YouTube uh, for certain industries. YouTube would be a, a very important, content channel in order to build an audience and grow your brand for, for other industries, not right. So for some industries, right. they wouldn't want to do YouTube. YouTube's not easy. Yeah. I think very much the same uh, questions here uh, around TikTok. TikTok's not easy. Uh, if you want to actually build a brand through TikTok as a, as a company, um, it really lends itself to a, it's a user generated content platform. And it's usually about influencers. It's about creators. It's about people. They're, they're the ones who do well. Brands can do well on there, um, but you know, they need to be smart about how they do it. And there's, there's definitely case studies of brands doing, doing well. If you've got access to lots of good video content, a constant stream of it, you know, if you're in the media industry, then definitely TikTok, absolutely, you should be on there um, if, you, if, you, if you're doing video content. Um, but for, you know, if you're a B2B business, uh, probably, you know, probably not, uh, in most cases. So okay. it, it really depends what you're doing. Um, but the opportunity there compared to something like YouTube is that, uh, user acquisition is much easier, right? Uh, the platform's younger, uh, that the, uh, a balance of supply and demand in terms of really good content and niche content, uh, and then actual attention and, and users, uh, on very mature platforms like Instagram and YouTube, you know, it's very difficult to get viewers and followers today. Whereas TikTok, right. I think you've still got about 12 months. I think for most of this year, um, it's, it's obviously every month it's good. The balance is changing and it's, it's equalizing out and eventually it will shift towards oversupply uh, as right. it has done on, on, have we seen on pretty much every major platform. Um, but today it's probably the easiest channel, one of the easiest channels to acquire users and followers on. So that, that's definitely a reason to jump in, uh, uh earlier rather than later. Uh, and, and last year it was much, much easier, you know, like, uh, and, and if you go back to 2019, it's, it's just crazy. It was so easy to build a, a following if you were doing some sort of like to see, uh, content, uh, in sort mm -hmm. of, you know, F and B or, or like fashion or something like that. Right. So yeah, th those are the broad strokes on it. I mean, there's a lot of detail. Sure, sure. Um, I think it's uh, it does certain formats do better. Comedy uh, does really well. Certain 
products, you know, F&B does better, fashion does better on there, etc. Like it's a little bit like Instagram in that respect. Right, right. Uh, yeah. E-commerce is one thing though that's different in that terms of uh, TikTok will be moving into e-commerce, already is actually moving into e-commerce. And uh, that's been quite successful in the China market. And we can definitely mm-hmm. expect them to do the same internationally right. or try and replicate that success. So it's actually not just a channel for branding. Uh, it, you can actually do sales on there or you will be able to do sales on there. And uh, right. we've seen case studies of that in China. Sure. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. With um, your second question, what are the lessons to be learned around uh, TikTok and how they grew up? Um, well, Outside China, uh, they, they did a fantastic job with their growth teams. Um, now, they were lucky in terms of like, basically, they were just taking a product that had already been mature, very successful in China, a mature product that was very polished, and actually, you know, one of the best internet products from the most competitive market in the world, the China market for mobile internet services, and then taking right. it out. So the product was actually really good. Um, but still, what we learned, even with a you know killer product, basically, um, they still needed to spend a lot on advertising. So they did do a um, very good job in terms of building communities around the world. So mm. they were very heavy on localization early on. They sort of broke off separate teams for different countries. Well, the first markets they attacked were Asia. So the very first markets they went into were South Korea, Japan, uh, Vietnam, Thailand, places like that. And in each country, they had localized content teams and localized uh, communities, sort of community managers uh, to sort of build up influencers and creators. And when they were doing marketing, uh, the, you know, the first, their first forays into marketing were spending with local influencers and getting celebrities onto the platform, realizing that with each localized language, uh, you need to, you know, get those influencers. And what they found two, three years ago was actually a lot of those local language influencers were underpriced, uh, that the big brands weren't spending that much on them uh, compared mm-hmm. to other channels that was an efficient way to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that, that doesn't scale globally. Once, they, once they've made their sort of hits, once they've tested the waters in several Asian markets and actually got to already something like 500 million MAU, uh, in, in, in a, across Asia. And then they acquired musically, uh, a, the original mm. sort of innovator in this area and combine those platforms. Now they need to scale globally. Now they shift over most of their attention and spend into Google and Facebook, uh, to acquire those companies. So even with a killer product, even with, uh, you know, best in class growth teams, they were still having to give most of their budget to their rivals actually was the reality of how they scaled it. Um, right. So I think that's actually, you know, quite uh, a sort of, uh, I don't think it's, it, we have to deal with the reality of what mobile is today. If you're doing a consumer product and you want to get to that level, the fact is due to the dynamics of how mobile works, um, you know, that's, that's really what, what's necessary. And uh, I don't think it's a good thing, to be honest, uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's the reality of where mobile is, this sort of walled garden ecosystem and these gatekeepers that we have. Um, it's unrealistic to rely on word of mouth, um, even if you have uh, a best-in-class product. Sure. I mean, thanks for that. I mean, you shared some really fascinating insights there. I mean, some of the things that uh, really stood out for me is how they 
localized content. So that was really key. And for a lot of startups who are trying to use content marketing or different platforms uh, going into different markets. And of course, you mentioned something about uh, growth teams and community. That's so important. And I think a theme that you uh, sort of touched upon for both the you know larger organizations uh, trying to use it as a marketing platform and also for founders as you mentioned getting in early right it's better to get in early and then to be late for the party so for instance whether you can find underpriced uh, influencers as you know a startup founder so yeah and again that's what we sort of talk about all the time right in the tech business it's it's always important to pick on those trends and just identify the winner and go for it right so because right now if somebody's trying to monetize their youtube channel it's so much more difficult so much more challenging in fact there's a there's a certain degree of fatigue uh, you know and and the same with facebook right like you mentioned and and it'll be interesting to see our facebook you know the early adopters as always were the younger people and now you know you'll see a, a lot of teenagers absolutely don't want to be on facebook so it'll be interesting to see that journey as well uh, since you spoke about you know how essential marketing is you know and 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 this is something we talk about uh, to a lot of founders you know and uh, startups that we work with they come to us and they want us to build their platforms and apps and everything and one of the first questions that i ask them is what's your marketing plan right we don't want to build an absolutely wonderful platform for you and then you don't know how you're going to market it and and sometimes you know the response that we get is you know but we'll figure it out when we get there and you know i always keep insisting you should have a marketing plan and you should yes. have an idea about you know and of course we all have to be nimble these days and you can't really uh you know have a plan that you'll stick to for 5 years but at the same time you need to have a bit of a plan which brings me to the next question uh about china channel uh now obviously china channel uh so your company that you're running and for the listeners you can go check it out chinachannel.co uh and and so matt tell us more about china channel and how is uh, how can uh any of the listeners uh you know sort of contact you and how can you help them Yeah sure. Uh just to for that last point I think it's so important like uh, there's a, there's a saying like first time founders focus on product and second time founders focus on distribution. Right? And so <laughs> it it speaks to uh that like once you've got a bit of experience you realize that it's execution and things like distribution are are just deal breakers in terms of uh, a product as a as a, as a startup. Absolutely. Yeah. Product Absolutely. is everyone knows products you know also really really key. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with with China Channel, uh, we've people know us because we do uh, the largest annual conference for WeChat marketing for several years in China. So that's one of the things we do. We couldn't do it last year because of COVID, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll have to see for this year. Uh, hope fingers crossed. Maybe we can do it again. uh but that we did that for many years and that's sort of like bring together all the digital marketers um who speak english and focus on helping international brands into one place once a year so it was a very special event uh that we you know for two days and with all different kinds of workshops and things like that so that's a, that's definitely one of the things that people know china channel for uh it's the main thing actually um for me i spend most of my time now writing and speaking Mm-hmm. Uh, and then i also do advise some startups as well around sure, uh, sure. things like well they they come to me usually for the china market uh, uh most of them aren't ready but they're just thinking of it uh you know like how do 
well, there's two things really. Is one is like, is there an opportunity for our product in the China market? And then right. uh, number two, are there lessons from China that we can apply? Uh, and I think often number two is is the is the one that can really add the, at the value because. There's so much, I mean, for a startup moving into China, I think it's a huge move. And like, if you haven't already made a big success in your home market, you probably shouldn't do it. But right. the fact is like for many of the things, there is something happening that's similar to your product in the China market. It's so vibrant in terms of the ecosystem there, but it's really like being on a different planet. It's like being on Mars, right? In terms of like how it all works because the basic infrastructure is so different. Things like email isn't an effective channel to reach people, right? You have to reach them on WeChat. And so the dynamics there are just so different that all of this, uh, all of the assumptions that you have around, especially marketing, just, just don't apply to that, to that universe, to that separate world. Um, so, but having said that, people's needs are the same, right? Chinese people in general, are, you know, they're people and they've got the same, the same sort of problems that they have. You know, if you start solving a problem, Chinese probably have it, that problem, but maybe it's been solved in a different way. Um, right. So there's, there's going to be lessons in there. And, and uh, the Chinese, have, you know, they're, they're really, really good at building, uh, you know, especially consumer-facing internet platforms now. And so uh, it's very likely that there will be some lessons and some ways for, to think about things for your startup that ha uh, from China to apply. Um, sure. We've even found in some cases that, you know, already like uh, there's some key insight from the china market that actually came you know when we did the research and found out okay ah oh, actually there's a start very similar to what you were doing in china they they already i spoke to the founder and this is the problem they had and it really really helped the other the other team outside china right. uh, stuff mm. like that you know you can get lucky like that um but yeah i think that's uh, that's something i'm quite passionate about as well it's like especially recently because uh, there's been because of covid there's been a big wave of uh, people trying to build social platforms and try to build social e-commerce platforms uh, yeah. and trying to look at different ways. Uh, I think there's a real flourishing, right? There's an optimism around uh, building new consumer facing products and tools. Uh, and so, yeah, there's definitely something there to, to apply lessons from China over to these new wave of startups. Absolutely. And, and I, I saw some really useful resources on your website as well. So I would urge the listeners to go check them out. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, you learn quite a bit uh, things that uh, Matt has picked up over the years and, you know, with a lot of research. So do check those out as well. And, and uh, Matt, coming back to WeChat, I mean, since, uh, you know, you uh, brought it up and for, for a lot of our, uh, you know, clients in Asia and some of them in Europe, uh, and other parts of the world, a lot of them are so fascinated with WeChat, but they don't quite get it. And, yeah. you know, like you mentioned, email is not the right platform to reach people. And even not only, uh, you know, email, but the fact that even on your website, uh, the contact form usually triggers a message to WeChat and not to like an email account or anything else. So, uh, and, and the whole concept of now, obviously we have Grab, uh, and Gojek and some of these uh, really cool uh, startups in Asia who are trying to be the super app and I think have had moderate success. But I mean, uh, I think they're all inspired by the WeChat model. So uh, for for all our listeners who know about WeChat from a, from a personal point of view, a lot of us have been using WeChat for many, many years, either interacting with clients or interacting with some friends, uh, you know, in China. 
but from a point of view of business right so in the sense i think there is still a lot of uh, gap in terms of our knowledge in terms of how we can use wechat for marketing how can we use sure, wechat sure. to monetize our platform so maybe you can uh, you know uh, share a bit about that yeah yeah okay so this is the deal with wechat in china it is a super app uh, and it's very very different from grab and gojek grab and gojek could never do what wechat does wechat basically a it replaces the open web in china because in china the open web's pretty much dead uh, people don't use browsers that much on mobile in china very, very much much less than than in the west um, google doesn't have the same you know google's not in china and and uh, baidu doesn't actually replace google in terms of they don't own android and they made a poor transition to mobile so they evo is mostly an android market uh, we see that usage of, of search on mobile is less and particularly browser usage is much, much less. Uh, right. Everything happens in an app. Everything happens in these ward garden ecosystems. Mm. Now that means if you want to reach a Chinese consumer, you need to reach them on some kind of app. And that means mm. usually there's a gatekeeper uh, and you've got to pay a toll uh, and it's very difficult. You don't really own the customer, right? The, right. So when, when we think about an owned channel, right in the west we think about okay i'm going to build my email list i'm going to build my website right traffic mm. through seo and this is going to be uh, you know stable channels that uh, i don't need to pay anyone for my customers to find me and to maintain that relationship how do you do that in china you can't do that on an alibaba platform right you end up paying alibaba every time right you don't own the customer uh, not not to single out Alibaba, just as an example. Okay, like it's it's the same for JD, it's the same for Pindodor, it's you know all of these all of these companies. Um, you've got an algorithm in the way between you and the customer. Uh, right. But WeChat's different. WeChat's the place where you can actually own the customer. You can reach them when you want to reach them. It's it replaces email, essentially, mm -hmm. because you if you want to reach say. Um, uh, my wife in China, right, as a marketer, uh, a typical Chinese consumer, you can't reach her on email. She's got an email. She doesn't really use it. If you want to send her a marketing message, she's not going to reach her. As, as someone who does marketing outside China, I just want to stress like how amazing, how mind-blowing it is to me that I can reach anyone in the world with an email address, pretty much. Yeah. Like, you can't do that in China. Like, if I want to reach someone, if I even know who that person is, the only reliable way I can reach them is WeChat. And WeChat doesn't work the same way. You, you can't find their ID, right? It's, it's a, such a private closed ecosystem um, that there's no way for me as a marketer to say, I need to reach Mark in, in Shanghai. Uh, I know who he is, but I, I, you, know, you, can't find, you, you can't just email them. Um, so all of these channels and, and expectations are, are, are different. But WeChat sort of replaces the open web here in terms of... Um, that once you once someone is following you on WeChat, once someone knows your brand and has decided, okay, I want to follow your WeChat account or your mini program, okay, now you can connect to them directly. Now that's not easy. Uh, I don't want to mislead you into thinking that WeChat markets is marketing is a silver bullet. It's not, yeah. um, but uh, it is an owned channel. It's the closest thing China has to an owned channel, and so that's why marketers come back to it. And there are some very cool things you can do with CRM in terms of segmentation of customers. Uh, and there's very, very cool things you can do with building uh, mini, mini programs, which are light applications, uh, which live mm -hmm. in WeChat. So the actual tools and infrastructure on WeChat is amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's really no equivalent for it in the West. 
uh, and you can actually do a lot of very, very cool things. Uh, and you can actually, there are startups that, and actually meet small and medium sized enterprises that just essentially live, uh, they don't have their own app. Uh, they have a website, but it doesn't get much traffic. And most mm -hmm. of their interactions and transactions are happening mm -hmm. through WeChat. Mm. Fascinating. I mean, I think, I mean, the way you describe it, uh, we should actually stop labeling it as a super app. We should, you know, probably call it the universe, right? Like you, the way you sort of very elaborately explain. I mean, the, key, the key thing here is yeah. the payments, right? Like we, yeah. the WeChat Pay is a very important layer here. So, right. uh, and the payments are embedded natively into the whole thing. And so paying anyone, there's no input of payment or information. There's no input of address information, even for most users. Right. So, right. uh, as, as a, just, uh, plugging into that infrastructure as a star, a startup is, is, is really, really strong. Imagine that, you know, you can acquire a customer, um, you know, a new customer and the, rather than, and the friction for them to buy your product is so, is so, so low because they don't need to do, you know, they don't need to, it's like being on an e-commerce marketplace, right? It's like being on Amazon where they all have to do is one tap to buy essentially, yeah. but you own the customer. So it's all, it's all the good bits of being on Amazon with all the good bits of being like on a, your own website. Uh, but the, the friction from the user experience is super smooth. Um, right. When you look at, you mentioned Grab and Gojek, right? Like before, mm. like so different. Grab and Gojek's like nothing like that. Um, these these guys could possibly be like Meituan Dianping. Mm. I think that's a much better model for them to, to right. do. Or, or even Alipay perhaps. Right. Uh, but, but WeChat's a different beast. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, you're right. Uh, they are trying to move towards the Alipay kind of a model in any case with the new sort of digital banking licenses and everything in Singapore in any case. Anyway, that's a conversation for another time. And that's a very interesting conversation as well. So how do you say, uh, you know, an entrepreneur or a business owner in, let's say, Jakarta or Singapore, or let's say in the West, if they want to, you know, tap into the China market, like you mentioned, it's not easy, right? Even the biggest tech companies have not been able to uh, create a dent uh, in the China market. It's a tough market in a lot of ways, but let's say, I mean, they are less threatening, right? Like medium-sized companies, they want to sell their products or services to, let's say, uh, 500,000 people, or let's say if there is a B2B company who wants to sell uh, to, the, to customers in China and they feel that they have some very valuable services and products. So what would you say, what are the two or three things that they should uh, start their journey with in order to uh, make some inroads into the China market. Yeah, well, I think there's two options. You, I mean, you can go on market if you're selling a, a product uh, directly to consumers. Uh, you know, you can go on the marketplaces, uh, but mm -hmm. you know that's not cheap. That's really uh, very expensive. And, right. Uh, it's the problem with China is like it's it's the biggest market in the world, and everyone knows that. So it's actually by far the most competitive market in the world. Uh, in, right. in some markets, you know, you would move into that and expect there to be like a handful of competitors in your category five. And then you come to China and there's like 30, 
<laughs> and because everyone everyone wants wants to be in there everyone's pining in there even country you know there's there's uh, on things like Timor countries have their own pavilions so they, they aggregate all the small and medium-sized enterprises um, mm. through the chamber of commerce or through the consulate or whatever system they've got going and and say okay like you guys can't afford to be on Alibaba by yourself but we can have a country pavilion and stick all your products on there so you've got all those right. models as well that that might be a viable model uh, for some small sure, and medium-sized sure. enterprises. WeChat has the advantage of being able to test the market. Um, mm -hmm. So because of the system I just described, uh, it's, uh, you, you can maybe test out much, much lower price uh, and see if actually Chinese consumers even like your product. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. you don't want to spend a bunch of money and find out, oh, actually because of X, Y, and Z that we didn't think about or we didn't weren't even aware of, uh, that actually this, this doesn't work the, the same way in China that it does outside. Um, Chinese consumers, you know, they do have localized preferences uh, mm -hmm. and there's, there's definitely differences around per, uh, tastes uh, especially things like F and B, or, or even like fashion with brands. So all of these things can can mean that uh, it, it won't. Your product might not even work in the market. So testing it, well, WeChat is a good way to test it. Um, sure. You can work with a local agency to you know uh, define goals for say, okay, we want to spend this and see what we get. Uh, just be aware that acquiring users, getting sales, all of these costs that you're used to, uh, you know, they're going to be higher in China. China's right. definitely going to be doing marketing digitally in China is more is the is is more expensive than almost anywhere in the world, and uh, so those expectations you know I just want to lay it down the brands that do well are the ones that are in it for the long term, mm -hmm. and they and they uh, you know they're committed to trying out testing different uh, channels and, and different ways to do it. Uh, whether they they could actually know some brands have done well on on Douyin the Chinese version of TikTok. Uh, with you know certain campaigns, you never know where they uh, exactly where it's going to work. Um, but if you are going to go into China, be expected to spend, and I would say like go there for the long term. You might want to test it first, or with WeChat and find okay, you know, just get past that. Do consumers actually need our products? Yes, they do. Okay, it can work in China. Okay, good. Now, mm. are we going to commit to this long term to actually find find the right ways to reach these consumers? Uh, that's that I think that's a sensible way to look at it. Um, but I would, you know, for smaller brands, I would say, unless you've got to a certain scale in your home market, don't even think about China. You know, like if you're not certain, we've seen some, uh, startups that are like still struggling to get product market fit in their market. Yeah. And then there's yeah. like, Oh, we need to go to China. I'm like, you haven't even got product market fit in your own market. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's that, you know, be, be realistic as well. I think. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a very valuable piece of advice. Uh, I've seen so many of those startups and because, you know, everyone's so enamored with the China market and they just have this strange notion that the minute their product just touches the shores uh, and suddenly 1.4 billion people will be, you know, using that product. So, of well, course, you know, I mean, it's all, yeah. Dude, uh, yeah, let sorry. me just be clear. Like, if your product is genuinely unique, Right, yeah, like yeah. Uh, everyone thinks their product is unique, but like, is it yeah, really yeah. unique? Like, uh, yeah. if it really is unique and solving a problem, and there's nothing out there, like, and you have some barrier stopping local Chinese companies imitating it. Yeah, you know, a good example for that is Airbnb. Right, Airbnb. Uh, there, there's loads of Chinese companies try to copy Airbnb, but because of the the the, the network effects and, and the brand yeah. outside China, uh, actually yeah. they all 
that none of them can do it. So Airbnb has actually done a pretty poor job in China in some respects, but they can, it doesn't matter because they've, they've got, you know, they can't, the local companies can't imitate their product well. Uh, so if you've got some barrier or some IP or something like that, that's stopping them, that's, that's a good one. And then like, is it, is it or if it's very niche, it's just a niche product that, uh, you know, it's got certain audience, uh, and mm. is, is probably not interesting enough, or there's, there's a high enough barrier to producing that niche, that niche product, then that, that's a good sign as well. Those are the, tend to be like the, the ones that do, do the best. Sure, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, uh, I was actually reading this article yesterday, which said, you know, a very important question to ask uh, for founders who want to expand or founders or even established companies when they want to expand to other parts of the world is to ask themselves, uh, what's their strength? Is it technology or is it geography, right? So for instance, a lot of times, uh, you know, in a lot of countries, uh, most companies are successful because of a number of reasons, right? Because it's a great fit for that market or in some cases, you know, it just, they were probably very early to the party and they just really captured that market before others could. But when you look at what they have to offer technologically, it's nothing phenomenal. So when they go into any other market, they really struggle. And I can name hundreds of companies like that, which are absolutely the kings in their own markets, but they have absolutely struggled in other markets. So I think, yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, it's important to believe as a founder, but at the same time, like you said, uh, be realistic, you know, before you enter a very, very competitive market like China. So uh, talking about the China market, you know, and just a couple of questions before we uh, wind up is, what do you see, you know, in terms of the trends and like you said, you know, you identified ByteDance quite early in the day in terms of this is going to be a huge success. Uh, do you see any trends or companies that you see now which are going to be uh, very exciting in a couple of years' time? And the reason I ask is for all the founders and decision makers, you know, in different companies who are looking uh, to sort of jump on an opportunity and grab that opportunity and say, oh, we sort of missed the bus on uh, ByteDance and TikTok. Is there anything that comes to mind that you would like to share? Sure. Uh, in terms of the next big things to come out of China, essentially, I don't see too much uh, in terms of big internet companies that people aren't aware of already. I think people already know mm. uh, the, the names have already mentioned Meituan, Alipay, uh, Pindodor, et cetera. Like, like right, there's, right. A, or there's awareness around these. Mm. Um, and I actually, I don't see any of those making big moves outside China. Where, where, where I am optimistic is certainly in gaming. Uh, right. I think there's, it's only a matter of time before there's big Chinese made in China IPs, you know, a mm. fortnight right? Or like a, a Mario Luigi, like real global mega hit gaming uh, IPs uh, that become household names across the world. Uh, I think in the next three to five years, we, there's definitely going to be one. There might be two or three uh, come from China. Uh, I, I think that's, that's, that's not if, that's when. Uh, so that, that's one thing. And then in terms of Chinese brands, uh, I think there's been Chinese brands have got much more savvy in the last five years of how they market themselves. And actually we've seen in sort of traditional areas like, 
makeup's a good example cosmetics so right. uh local champions like perfect diary uh is 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 the one that comes to mind who have pushed back against you know the big french brands uh, like l'oreal um or maybelline from new york right like all of these global mega brands in the cosmetics industry like they've actually been able to build a a brand in china and market that very savvily i think you're going right. to see local chinese mastered how to market in the china market now and i think right. uh, you, the next wave will be them uh, going global uh, and mastering uh, global marketing now um there's there's you know there's so much pushback against china these days in terms of the you know uh, the west uh to some degree fearing the rise of china and questioning you know what does this mean for uh you know all these uh, political aspects so chinese brands do need to be aware of that you know that hit tiktok quite hard last year mm -hmm. uh so the reality is that uh i don't think that's going away and i think mm -hmm. that uh chinese brands will struggle um in western markets perhaps because of those because simply because of those reasons alone uh right. but uh in in many you know more neutral markets around the world if you look at you know, um all these areas like uh eastern europe or middle east uh or south america you know all of the, or, or southeast asia india or india is actually going more 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 sort of western way i guess but like there's many other markets around the world where you're going to see chinese brands start to make uh start to make a bigger bit of impact they're just more savvy stuff you wouldn't expect um, them to be doing in terms of marketing and brand building uh that we really only expect from the global best in class uh, companies now the chinese have sort of caught up they know how to do viral marketing campaigns uh they know how to you know build something so that it becomes cool uh all of these things that you see in in uh, south korea you know and how south mm. korea does uh because we're, we're at sort of we're sort of this point globally where uh we're in a lull where china has everyone's aware that china's like this strong country now and uh, they've got technology and like, uh, oh, you know, they're doing all these things now. What's trying to do? But they, the soft power is not there, right? They're still very bad at soft power. They haven't got any, like, they've got very, very few. There is a movie industry, for example, in China that's, that's growing like gangbusters. And uh, there will be global breakout hits in, in, in you know, movies from China, but not, not yet. So there's not this sort of like soft power element or these global brands like Nike or even things like, mm. uh, you know, uh, McDonald's or, uh, you know, Disney, uh, all of these American brands that really, really help the soft power of America and people be comfortable with America as a country because all of these great, great products and great, great uh, brands come from America. China hasn't yeah. got that yet, but it's coming. It's coming uh, just like it came from Japan. Uh, just like it came from South Korea. I think these East Asian markets, these are similar models here. So I right. think that will be the big change in the next three to five years will be, you know, these, uh, whether it's gaming, uh, whether it's movies or whether it's brands, uh, not so much technology platforms, but all of these other areas, or, you know, household names coming from China. Uh, right. I, I could see that. Wow, that's, that's really fascinating. I mean, yeah, I think that's a great analogy of, you know, how Japan did it and Korea did it. And, you know, China's probably uh, almost getting to that, uh, you know, part of their journey. So obviously they first yeah. mastered the manufacturing capabilities and then, you know, capturing the domestic market. And I think, like you said, in the last five years or so, suddenly they've, they've figured out how 
to you know appeal to an international audience and like you rightly said maybe the digital products and then the gaming products would probably lead the way so maybe it's not the school bags or stationery or you know fashion products or something maybe you know we follow a different trend here and that'll be very very fascinating to watch uh, i mean i i can only imagine how exciting life must be uh, for you in china and it's definitely the most dynamic internet and digital market in the world right now so what what's next for matthew brennan what are you up to uh, how's the year been for you and you know i know china's managed things better than any other country and and so i'm sure movement within the country wouldn't have been that difficult but what are your plans for a post covid world uh yeah so right now i'm sort of finishing off uh the promotion for the book i think uh which has gone well i'm sort of thinking about a second title um of what what would be the next one uh that's definitely right now top of mind uh like i said the conference hopefully we might we might do that again this year i have to see um and yeah really just i do a lot of you know speaking and writing so uh although yeah as we say travel is pretty difficult in this world we're still doing a lot of it online um so i'm keeping myself busy with with that and then i you know uh, i feel that uh, at some point uh i need to do some form of content uh that a new a new channel that will um i see there's a lot of opportunities right now so it's just picking the right one uh whether that whether that might be tiktok and, and doing short form video um or whether that's doing something like uh, more like a traditional sort of written content like substack etc um something like that so basically uh, a new content channel is is you know is is on its way we we'll have to see we we'll have to make a decision uh and then yeah just general just speaking and writing and and thinking about the next book because i feel there's so much to be done in terms of uh really deep dives on these uh chinese companies there's uh these are huge huge organizations now and their stories are really interesting and no one's really telling them with, through the, through those formats there's very still today not that much content that's really quality and in depth uh so and i'm one of the few people who's well positioned to produce that so i really just want to double down on that opportunity uh, and do stuff that uh, fortunately it's stuff that i love doing so i wake up every day and really motivated that's wonderful and we look forward to the next book uh and we also look forward to the uh content platform and if you are on tiktok we'll be some of the first people to start following you uh matthew brennan <laughs> yeah, right. thank you so much uh thank you so much for taking the time out for all the listeners just a reminder matthew brennan the author of attention factory the story of tiktok and china's bite dance please go get a copy and uh, also go check out the website chinachannel.co Uh thanks Matthew once again for taking the time for this podcast and we look forward to speaking to you again. <laughs>